Alhamdulillahi wa kafa Wassalamun ala ibadihi alladhi nastafa Amma ba'd Fa'udhu billahi minashaytani rajim Bismillahirrahmanirrahim Walladhina jahadu fina Lanahdiyannahum subulana Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun والسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم One of the very unique features of our deen is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always waiting for us. There is no moment where there is no moment except that anybody in this room can turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he will be ready to accept and forgive them. There's no schedule and there's no preconditions. And that is extremely unique. It's the only interaction in this world that is so readily available to us. Look, if you wanted to meet um, the admissions counselor at a college. The admissions counselor is not going to take your call at uh, 9 o'clock on a Friday night. And the admissions counselor is going to have some sort of prerequisites. Maybe there's going to be an age prerequisite. Maybe there's going to be an academic prerequisite. Maybe there might be a professional prerequisite. But there's going to be restrictions. There's always going to be some conditions that are going to be necessary in order for you to be able to make that connection. And it doesn't matter what the interaction is. You can want to make an appointment with the mayor. The mayor is not going to give you an appointment for two weeks. If you're lucky, you get even an appointment. And if you get an appointment, it's going to be two weeks out. And if, perchance, the mayor were to give one person an appointment, He's not going to be able to meet with 60 different people at one time and listen to each of them based on who they are and be able to answer their needs and their call. But the unique, unique, unique feature of our existence is that at any moment in time, irrespective of the circumstance, each of us has an opportunity to be able to approach Allah. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is waiting for us. Any moment, any moment, you can turn to Allah, doesn't matter what the background is, so long as you appreciate that He and He alone is the one that should be pursued, and that we are nothing and we have no place to turn except Him, 
These, the simple paradigm has to exist in the mind of the believer, and when the believer turns, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is waiting. A believer will take one step, Allah will take ten. A believer can come dragging their feet, Allah comes running. Every opportunity is in the favor of the believer. Now, the problem, we run the other way. We're so interested in meeting this person and hooking up with that person and connecting with that person and creating a, a, you know, a LinkedIn relationship with this person. We turn in all these different directions. We put our energy in all these different places. We fail to appreciate that the ultimate opportunity for every Muslim is to connect with Allah. This is the only opportunity that we have. Everything else is limited. The only opportunity for every Muslim is to connect with Allah and ajib that opportunity is available at any moment that anybody in this room determines that it's valuable to them. SubhanAllah, I can tell you that if I called you and you didn't respond to my call and then I called you again and you didn't respond to my call and I called you again and you didn't respond to my call how many times will I call you before even if you called me, I won't respond back. Right? There's a, I can text you five times, you don't respond to me. I'm not going to text you the sixth time. And even if you texted me later, I'm not going to text you back. And all this time we spend pursuing everything other than Allah. Right? I pursued this, I put everything on hold because my degree was important, my job was important, my connection with this person, my networking with that person was important. And I put aside the opportunity of my existence, which was la ilaha illallah, and yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does what? Responds to the call of the believer whenever they call. It's the unique, unique opportunity that exists, and subhanAllah, there is no stone left unturned by this deen to create opportunity after opportunity for us. And we find ourselves in that exact same circumstance again today. We find ourselves in the exact same circumstance today. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided for us again the opportunity of a lifetime despite the fact that we have yet to submit and turn to him the way that we should. And that is that we've entered into these beautiful days which are the days of the Islamic month of Dhul-Hijjah. Dhul-Hijjah is one of the 12 Islamic months. It's the final month of the calendar. And Dhul-Hijjah, of course, is called Dhul-Hijjah because it possesses the Hajj. So the first important thing for all of us to appreciate is that, again, Allah has provided us with an opportunity. Again, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided us with a chance to turn to him, a chance to earn his reward, a chance to connect with him, even though we've been running the other way. So I think to begin with tonight, the first point that everyone needs to appreciate is that we're in this special moment. Now, why that's particularly important because the society in which we live in emphasizes so many other days but it's important for us to appreciate that our deen emphasizes these days. Which again, we're in the month of Dhul-Hijjah. So that's the first point. We should not be oblivious of that fact. The second point 
is that these days are exceedingly special to us. Why are these days exceedingly special to us? Because the Prophet ﷺ told us that these are the best of days. That there are no days that are better in which good can be performed aside from these days. There are no days that are more pure in which good can be performed aside from these days. So now, not only are we appreciating that we're in this special month which possesses the Hajj, which of course is a landmark event because it's an opportunity where people from all over the world come together to seek the forgiveness of Allah and to reconnect with Him despite the fact that they've been distanced for so many years. But on top of that, because of the great nature of Hajj, the benefits expand so far and wide that every person can leverage them. I'm not at Hajj, you're not at Hajj, we're obviously all sitting here, but each of us can leverage the opportunity of Hajj because these days are so blessed that it overflows from Hajj and it spreads throughout the entire world so that anyone who does any good in these days will be placing their deeds in the best of the days of the year. Now you might ask the question in the back of your mind, how can these be the best days of the year? How can the first 10 days of Dhul-Hijjah be the best of the year when Ramadan is so special and those are the special days, particularly the last 10 days of Ramadan? And the scholars, they address this by reminding us that in Ramadan, it's the last 10 nights that are special, particularly because we have the opportunity to seek Laylatul Qadr. So the best 10 nights are the nights of Ramadan, the last 10 nights of Ramadan. And the best 10 days are the 10 days of Dhul-Hijj. So just to clarify a little confusion that can exist in the back of the mind, this is a very, very unique opportunity for us because it's in these days that we can plant seeds that will produce for us gardens. And we should not be oblivious to the fact that we are in these days. Once you appreciate that this is the month of Dhul-Hijjah, and then you subsequently appreciate that these are the most blessed days, then the obvious question that any believer would ask is, what do I do? If I have this opportunity, what do I place? What, am, what seeds am I going to plant during these days that are going to allow me to be able to maximize the opportunity of returning to my Lord? And subhanAllah, <laughs> Islam is just the perfect guidance. It even provides guidance as to what should be done. So first and foremost, I want to just remind all of us, I started with this, but it's just worth reminding one another, that the, the, the unique special nature of this month is predicated on the fact that it contains the hajj. Dhu, by the way, dhu in Arabic means to possess. So dhu mal means the one who possesses wealth. Dhu al-hajj means the one that possesses the hajj. There's, there's a relationship there. So the first thing that we should appreciate that the greatest act that any believer can perform in these days is to perform the Hajj. The greatest act that any believer can perform in these days is to actually perform the Hajj. And the reason that I mention that, although it's not immediately relevant because we're all sitting here, obviously we haven't traveled for Hajj, but the reason that I mention that is that each of us needs to appreciate that this is a mandate of our deen. It's a pillar of Islam. And if perchance Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed us with 
the wealth that's necessary to perform Hajj, then no one in this room should dare delay that responsibility. Again, I want to make very clear. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands us to do something and then provides us with the means by which we can achieve that goal and it's a mandate in our deen, we should not delay. We should not give preference to other things on top above that thinking that this opportunity will wait for me. So often we find that, well, Hajj may be mandatory, but I'm going to delay it for five years because I've got to take this trip here and I want to do this there and I want to get this done in my life here. But that's not the appropriate adab by which we behave. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us a blessing, we should reciprocate the responsibility just as quickly as we expected the blessing. Look, I mean, if somebody sits and makes dua, oh Allah, give me this, don't they tend to get irked if it comes a decade later? If I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for something today and it's given to me a decade later, I'll be complaining. I'll, I'll be complaining, oh my God, I made this dua, ya Allah, please, ya Allah, please, ya Allah, please, give me this. I mean, we want, we want, when we want, we want immediately. But when it comes to reciprocating and returning, we want to do it at our convenience. That's not the proper adab, it's not the way that a Muslim behaves. A Muslim recognizes that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has bestowed upon me these blessings even though I was not deserving of them. And hence, it's my responsibility to express gratitude by fulfilling at least the mandates that are upon me. And of course, one of those mandates is the Hajj. So every person in this room, if you performed Hajj, alhamdulillah. But if you haven't performed Hajj, the first step to maximize the blessings of this month is to now, here and now, make the intention for next year. To think in the back of my mind, I should have done this, I haven't yet done this, Ya Allah, I've recognized this opportunity that you're providing with, for me to be able to wipe away a lifetime of mistakes and in the same trip to be able to earn Jannah, within five days, literally, I'm not going to uh, skirt around that opportunity to do anything else except focus on getting myself there, and that's going to be priority number one for me. So anybody in this room whom Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed with the appropriate wealth, the first thing to do in these 10 days is to make the intention to go as soon as you can. That's the first step. Aside from that, the next opportunity or at least I should say, the next layer of guidance that we received from the sunnah is that these are the days in which fasting is encouraged. These are the days in which fasting is encouraged. It's been narrated from the wives of the Prophet ﷺ that the Prophet ﷺ used to fast all of these days. From the first all the way to the ninth. Now, of course, the tenth, inshallah, will be Eid. So, of course, we don't fast a day of Eid. But the first to the ninth were days of fasting. And uh, it's something that's encouraged and something that all of us should consider uh, throughout these days. With special emphasis on the ninth of Dhul-Hijjah. Now, of course, this year, Eid will be on Wednesday. So the ninth of Dhul-Hijjah will be on Tuesday. So with special emphasis on the ninth of Dhul-Hijjah, which is Tuesday, and what's special about that is the fasting on the 9th of Dhul-Hijjah 
provides the opportunity for an individual to be able to expiate one year's previous sins and the upcoming year's worth of potential sin. So it's a very, very unique opportunity for a believer, something that all believers should be pursuing and striving for. Of course, now who's going to be able to strive for this? The one who's cognizant and remorseful of their sins. I'm not worried about my sins. I'm not thinking about my sins. I don't have, I'm oblivious to my sins, and I'm not going to be running towards this opportunity because I'm not going to appreciate it. But if I recognize that I'm bankrupt, I've got so many mistakes on my ledger, and I know that I'm going to be committing so many mistakes going forward because my history is just one of mistakes day in and day out, then of course that person's going to run for the opportunity. Look, who's running for the, uh, what do they call this, loan forgiveness, right? This uh, president is offering loan forgiveness for anybody who has loans. Who's, who's, there's millions of people running over there in line trying to get loan forgiveness. Why? Because they have loans. The one who is in debt is going to be the first one in line, and the bigger the debt, the more the hope, and the more they're going to be waiting in line. So I would argue that any believer in their right mind will recognize that they're producing, they're just a machine of mistakes. Because in the perfection of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who are we except just producing mistakes? So when a believer appreciates that I'm in debt, and there's an opportunity for loan forgiveness, and not only for my loans for the last year, but my upcoming loans that are for the next year, then of course every believer is going to rush towards that. So we should make an intention, we should make a particular intention as we go through these days, that the ninth of the Hijjah is a big opportunity for us. We should look for it. It's like the day, let's just say that the administration announces that loans will only be forgiven on one day. Anybody who comes this day, their one, one year prior loan will be forgiven and any loan that they're going to take for the next year will be forgiven. Won't there be a line? The line will be three days beforehand. So the believers should appreciate that as well. And we should be planning now. Tuesday, I'm aiming for Tuesday because I know who I am. I know what my debts are for the past year. I know the potential that I have to make massive mistakes over the next year. I'm waiting for Tuesday. Because the more we wait for it, the more we look forward to it, the more we appreciate the opportunity, that's actually what ibadah is. There's no benefit for, uh, I mean, there's no goal of uh, starving a person in our deen. The, the point of any ibadah is to appreciate that I am in need and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is providing me with an opportunity that I have no place else to turn. Now, these debts that I have, the government cannot forgive them. It doesn't matter what the government uh, decrees. They cannot forgive my one year's worth of sins. I have to face Allah on the day of judgment. So the attitude of the believer is always that I am in need. This is the opportunity of a lifetime. And we begin to think and plan how we're going to take advantage of it. So on the list, I would say number two, after the wrapping up of the issue of Hajj, number two on the list is to aim for fasting on the 9th of the Hajj, which is Tuesday, with the appreciation, understanding, and cognizance of the fact that I am the most needy one on the planet to fast on that day. So this is the second layer of opportunity that all of us should appreciate. The third layer of opportunity is to increase dhikr in these days to increase dhikr in these days. Because in one narration, when the Prophet ﷺ mentioned the special nature of these days, 
Again, as I said, there are no days better in which good deeds can be placed aside from these days. When the Prophet mentioned the nature of these days, the opportunity of these days, he recommended increasing our tahlil, wa takbir, wa tahmid. Tahlil, la ilaha illallah, wa takbir, Allahu Akbar, wa tahmid, alhamdulillah. So, for example, uh, number one, we should just appreciate that these are days in which our dhikr should be increased. These are days in which our dhikr should be increased. And, like anything important in life, we should have a plan. We should have a plan. You know, you can hear the words that I'm saying, and it might uh, inspire you to do something, but unless you map out a plan, or we map out a plan in our minds of how we're going to achieve that, it's unlikely that we're going to be able to carry that even an hour after this gathering dissipates. So one of the recommendations that I would make to everyone is that after every prayer, because prayer is like a pillar in our lives. It's already established. It's easy to build, build by attaching to something that already exists. After every prayer, the first thing is to perform the standard tasbihat uh, after each prayer. So maybe some of us don't have the habit of doing that. So that would be an increase that we could easily perform by just reminding ourselves that in these days particularly, after every prayer, we're going to be consistent with our dhikr. Standard dhikr after every prayer. By the way, it's always posted on this screen if you happen to pray here, but it's commonly known all the different types of dhikr. In particular, subhanallah, walhamdulillah, Allahu Akbar. So this is one uh, plan that a person can have. And the second is just as much as possible throughout the day. Just, you can recite, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Walillahi alhamd. By the way, this contains all of that tahleel, wa takbir, wa tahmeed. All of that's built into this Simple phrase which everybody knows because obviously we recited after the prayers from the ninth uh, of Dhul uh, Hijjah to Fajr on the ninth till Asr on the 13th. But this is not restricted to that. This can be recited anytime. And in particular, in these days, it's encouraged to recite this. We know companions used to go to the markets and out loud recite this to remind one another to be, uh, to be consistent in reciting this. So just throughout the day, Remind ourselves to recite Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Walillahi alhamd, and keep our tongues busy with that. Now, again, same story. Sometimes it's difficult if you don't attach to things. So maybe we can take the same recommendation that they give for Hajj. Now, you know, in the Hajj, of course, um, we're all, everyone in the Hajj is always reciting Labbaik, Allahumma Labbaik, Labbaik, La Sharika Laka Labbaik. And that's something that becomes almost the mantra, the dhikr, throughout the beginning days of the hajj. And the scholars, they don't just only recommend that a person be consistent and regular in reciting this, but then they give a little additional recommendation to assist the believer, which is that it's very good to recite this with the change of every circumstance. So for example, the scholars will say that this talbiyah, uh, the labbaik, should be recited when a person gets on the bus, when a person gets off the bus, when a person meets someone, when a person departs from someone, before a person takes their meal, after a person takes their meal, 
Now, why are, they, why are they giving these recommendations? They're not giving these recommendations because the Prophet ﷺ made a list upon where all these need to be recited. Rather, they're giving these recommendations because it's human nature to require, uh, consist, to, to achieve consistency in any deed to attach it to something else so that they're regularly reminded. So I would just make the same recommendation here, which is that throughout these days, anytime you find a change in state, Recite these tasbihat just a few times. I mean, for example, you get in the car in the morning to go to work. Before you start the car, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, la ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, walillahi alhamd. When you park the car at the garage, at, when you get to work, same thing. When you open the door of your office or you sit down at your desk, same thing. Before you get up from your desk, same thing. Maybe you have a little alarm that goes off every hour that reminds you. Whatever it takes to maximize on this opportunity that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has provided us in these days. So we should be increasing the dhikr of Allah. Now, what's the benefit of increasing the dhikr of Allah? Of course, there's many benefits. First and foremost, the Prophet reminded us to do this, so that's sufficient. But one of the benefits, again, is that the more that a person does uh, the, the tasbihat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the more their perspective resets. Now, what I mean by that is that you have to understand, we live in a very narrow bubble, right? My narrow bubble is me, myself, and I. I'm hyper-focused on myself. When things go wrong, I'm all upset. When things go right, I might put on a smile. Life tends to be very narrow. We tend to be exceedingly narrow-minded when we go through the day. But the reality is that our lives are just a pixel. They're not a picture. And the dean expands our pixel to see the whole picture. For example... In, in life, my pixel is, why did this person say something mean to me? How come this person doesn't treat me the way I think I should be treated? Correct? I get hyper-fixated on some event that occurs on some day at some time with me specifically. But the reality is what? The reality is that nothing happens except through the will of Allah. No one can harm me except Allah has determined that there's an opportunity for them to harm me. And the whole thing is a test anyway to see how I respond. So what happens, I get, hyper I get hyper fixated on the pixel. I'm looking at the pixel. I'm looking at, Zayd said this to me at 6 o'clock on Friday, June 10th. And I'm getting upset about Zayd saying these things to me at 6 o'clock on Friday, June 10th, when I don't appreciate the big picture. And the big picture is what? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala permitted Zayd to say this to me at 6 o'clock on Friday, June 10th. And the test for me is how do I respond when that thing occurred? So there's a pixel, which is the immediate event, but there's a big picture, which is that nothing happens except through the will of Allah. The more a person does the dhikr of Allah, the more they break the pixel and they see the picture. What's the pixel? The pixel is, I want to buy this car. This car might be super beneficial for me. I'm in love with this car. That's the pixel. What's the bigger picture? Well, wait a minute, I could spend the money on this car, but I could also take this same money and invest it in my hereafter, and maybe that investment might be better. So what happens? We get hyper-fixated on this car for a singular moment because it, it gets caught up in our heart and we desire it, but we fail to see the bigger picture, which is that the car is going to take away from me and perhaps preclude me from investing in something better. Now, of course, if you need a car, no problem in purchasing a car. Honestly, no problem in even purchasing a nice car. But it should be done in the context of seeing the whole picture. 
When I make a decision to purchase something or to pursue something, it should be in the context of recognizing all the other things that I'm losing by making that decision. They call that opportunity cost, right? This is a big thing in economics. What's the opportunity cost? The opportunity cost requires you to go beyond the immediate interaction, the immediate transaction, and see the bigger picture of all the other opportunities that a person is losing, correct? So the same thing with a believer. The believer is reminded of the akhirah and reminded of the dunya, not because they can't exist in the dunya. Of course we exist in the dunya. We have to live in this dunya. We have to pursue the dunya because it's part of the needs of a, uh, that we have. But we should always see it in the context of the bigger picture so that when I spend a dollar on myself, I should know I'm spending a dollar on myself. I lost this opportunity, but I needed to spend this dollar on myself. In fact, the dollar on myself was the opportunity. So this concept, this, so how do you break, how do you break the inability to see the bigger picture? Through the dhikr of Allah. The more a person does the dhikr of Allah, the more they appreciate the greatness of Allah, the more they break out of their narrow-minded focus on, their, on themselves and see the bigger reality, which is there is nothing except Allah. There's no opportunity except Allah. There is nothing worthy of pursuing except Allah. There is no, no place from which my um, risk comes except Allah. And there is no place that I have to answer to except before Allah. So the more a person does the dhikr, the more their understanding of reality expands and the more many of the issues that arise in life are alleviated. By the way, this is one of the very important benefits of dhikr, as we're going to talk about across the weekend. But this is one of the very important benefits of dhikr. I mean, look, honestly, so many of the problems that, we, that believers, you know, believers are constantly shooting themselves in the foot, the reason we shoot ourselves in the foot is because we fail to see the big picture. Look, if I uh, have this opportunity to perform a sin, when I perform that sin, I get caught up in the immediate moment of that sin, but I fail to see the bigger picture, which is that Allah is watching and that this is going to distance me from my Lord and potentially delay my entry into Jannah. So what's, what was the problem? One of the problems when I performed a sin was that I failed to see the bigger picture. And similarly with so many dimensions of our deen. For example, if I'm envious of Brother Zaid, Zaid gets a good job, I don't have a good job. So now I'm envious of Brother Zaid, and I wish that Zaid didn't have that job. That's a massive disease of the heart, which is highly problematic in our deen. Envying another person. For, and with the hope that they lose something, even though I don't have it. But rea the reality is, if I saw the bigger picture, what would I recognize? I would recognize that, by the way, why is envy a problem? Envy is a problem because you're competing with Allah. When a person is envious of someone else and wishes they don't have it, what are they really saying? They're really saying, Allah shouldn't have give, given them that. Na'udhu billah, Allah made a mistake, na'udhu billah. Right? Because basically what you're doing is you're challenging the decree of Allah. If a person looks at another brother and says he shouldn't have that, I should, then I'm really challenging the decree of Allah, which is why this becomes a major problem. But what's the solution? The solution is not to knock on my head ten times and remind myself that it's okay, it's okay. The bigger solution is to recognize that Allah is the one that decrees all. And that I should not be challenging Allah's decree. But where is that going to come from? That's going to come from a reset of perspective. I need to break out of this notion that I'm important, that the whole world revolves around me, me, myself, and I. I need to break out of that notion and I need to expand to see the reality that there is the only thing that's true is la ilaha illallah. But again, where does that come from? That comes from the dhikr of Allah. So, 
The point I was making was that one of the very important deeds that we can plant in these days, number one, by the way, let's go back and review very quickly because I went on a tangent. Number one was Hajj and appreciating that that's what makes these days special and recognizing that none of us in this room should have delayed that Hajj. And if we did, we should make the intention today to clean the slate. Number two, to take advantage of fasting, in particular the ninth of Dhul Hijjah, cognizant that we are the ones in debt and that Allah is the one that provides. Number three was to increase our dhikr. Why? Because the Prophet ﷺ specifically encouraged us to increase our dhikr in these days when describing the opportunity of these days. And we gave a couple examples. One would be to just simply after every prayer make a rule for myself that I'm going to perform the basic ithkar after prayer. And number two would be to regularly throughout the day, especially when there's changes of state, to just remind ourselves to say, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, La ilaha illallah, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Walillahi alhamd. So this was the third recommendation. The fourth recommendation. The fourth recommendation is to appreciate the foundations upon which the Hajj is predicated. Now, we said that you have to appreciate the Hajj, correct? You have to appreciate the Hajj because the Hajj is what this month possesses, what makes it so special. But let's go a little deeper. Let's appreciate that the Hajj is actually predicated upon certain things. And part of what the Hajj is predicated upon is the sacrifice of Ibrahim, of the Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam. Right? Part of the... By the way, when you look through the, when you look through the rituals of Hajj, you find that much of the Hajj is predicated upon our spiritual grandfather, the Prophet Ibrahim For example, the rebuilding of the Kaaba was by the Prophet Ibrahim uh, The stoning of Shaitan also occurred uh, through the Prophet Ibrahim uh, The sacrifice, of course, in the same way. And so in these days, we should begin to plan to if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has uh, provided us with wealth above the nisab, to plan for the sacrifice that's going to occur on the 10th of Dhul Hijj, which of course is the day of Eid. So as you're aware, that's mandatory on anyone who possesses wealth above the level of nisab. Now, there's a couple of ways in which we can do this. The first and foremost is that you can just go online and you can uh, con you know, confirm and uh, uh, proceed with a transaction. And that is, a, uh, that is a, a beneficial way to do it. But I think it's also important for us to remember that the sunnah is to sacrifice with our own hands. And that there is a benefit in sacrificing with our own hands because, first of all, it's the sunnah, and second, as the blood is, going, is coming from the animal, the sins are also departing from the person. And there, the connection that arises with a ritual of worship can never be replicated by doing something online. I mean, uh, the simple example I'll give you is that you cannot compare studying online with sitting at, a, with the, with the, at the feet of a scholar. I know that the world likes to do everything online today. You cannot compare studying online with studying with a scholar. Studying with a scholar has, it, 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 it's, the difference is like the sky and the earth. You cannot compare same thing with, by the way, any kind of lecture. I mean, I know we love to 
go online and, and look, look, listen to a lecture, but you cannot compare being in the masjid, sitting in the company with a bunch of believers, sitting in the company of the speaker, all the angels that are coming into this particular gathering, you cannot compare this with YouTube. It doesn't compare, it doesn't compute. So in the same way, we should also appreciate that, fine, that might be convenient and easy, and it certainly fulfills the mandate to go and assign the sacrifice to somebody else and send off a few dollars, but you cannot compare with the sunnah of sacrificing with our own hands. And subhanAllah, we live in an environment where these things are possible. So that opportunity exists if we search for it and we make the extra effort. And it's something that all of us should pursue at least with the intention if possible. So I would recommend that in these days, as you appreciate what is Hajj predicated upon, part of that is predicated upon this sacrifice, which is mandatory for those who have wealth above the nisab, is to identify a place where you can do the sacrifice with your own hand. And you can take your families with you as well, and they can, you can make an event out of it. There's nothing wrong with that. But you cannot compare the sacrifice of the hand with the sacrifice of uh, you know, your thumbs on the, online. So don't lose that opportunity if it exists, and give it its appropriate priority. Now again, I'm not saying that uh, it's, uh, I'm not putting down uh, going online and arranging for a sacrifice, and perhaps it might even be encouraged in certain circumstances because maybe you can provide food to a group of people that normally wouldn't have that food. But, 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 we should still find, if available, the opportunity to at least sacrifice an animal with our own hands, and subhanAllah, these opportunities are present. But it requires a little bit of planning. So, everyone should try to make the intention to do this with their own hand, at least maybe, if not every year, every other year, every fifth year, every third year, make some sort of routine. And you can contact local farms, the opportunity is available, and you can go and you can sacrifice. And many of these farms even have the opportunity to donate the meat if you don't want to bring it home with you, if you feel that's inconvenient. But you can't compare the fact that you get in the car, you drive all the way to the farm, you're thinking about the sacrifice on the way, you're focusing on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the family is also excited, perhaps they're going with you. You stand there, you look at the animal, it's a completely different feeling. It's a completely different feeling. So this is also something that all of us should plan on, which is to arrange for the sacrifice ideally in person. Again, arrange for the sacrifice ideally in person. The last recommendation is just a global recommendation. And the global recommendation is simply predicated upon the global nature of the advice of the Prophet wasallam in which we were reminded that there are no better days in which deeds can be performed aside from these first 10 days of the Hajj. There are no better days in which the good deeds can be performed aside from these first 10 days of this month. So what that means is that any good deed, any good deed for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is encouraged. It's a time to appreciate that We've turned away. Now, by the way, what's the greater understanding of hajj? Just, just as an aside very quickly. The greater understanding of hajj is that I've turned away, ya Allah, I've turned away from you for so many days of my life. And now you are giving me the opportunity to completely reset myself by eliminating all my past sins and giving me an entrance into Jannah with an accepted hajj. So the attitude, the successful attitude in hajj is an attitude of need, that I'm coming to you with a mountain of sin on my shoulders, and you're providing me with the opportunity to be able to wash them all away 
and at the same time earn Jannah within just five days. So that's the attitude that the believer has to have. And that same attitude is going to run through our veins throughout these entire 10 days when it comes to any good deed. And why, why is that beautiful? Why is that so, why, what, what's so special about that? Because everybody in this room has their own strengths. Some of you are attached to Quran. Some of you are attached to making salawat. Some of you are attached to giving sadaqah. Some of you are attached to, uh, I don't know, handing out food at the local food bank. Some of you are very good at smiling at your neighbors. Some of you are very good at giving salam to one another. Wherever you find your strength, you can play your strength. You don't have to, there's no one size fits all here. There's no, uh, everybody has to form one mold. We've been told, generally speaking, aside from these basic uh, introductory points which I made, we've been told more, more globally that any good deed that any person performs in these days is valued because these are special days which are better than any other days of the year. So, somebody wants to think about their sins and make istighfar, alhamdulillah. Somebody wants to pick up a book of knowledge and read it or make an intention for a certain goal, alhamdulillah. Somebody wants to recite extra tasbihat, recite extra salawat. Somebody wants to spend a little bit of extra time with the Qur'an. Alhamdulillah. Somebody wants to come and maybe just increase the amount of time in the masjid. Maybe they don't go to the masjid. Okay, make an intention to go to the masjid once a day in these special days. Maybe a person doesn't attend a particular prayer in the masjid. Make an intention to, uh, to attend that particular prayer in the masjid during these particular days. Maybe a person doesn't have the opportunity regularly to hear the adhan. They're not able, they may be able to come for the aqama, but they don't come for the adhan. Simple step to just come a few minutes earlier to be able to hear the adhan and respond to the adhan. That's an extra good deed that a person can perform in these days. Everybody in this room is unique. Everybody in this room is different. Everybody has their own next step. And the deen is opening its doors to accept every person as they are. So each person in this room can determine who they are, where they are, what's their next step. And the deen is, again, like I started with, subhanAllah, the beauty of this deen is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ready to accept us at any time, at any place, without any preconditions. It's we that run the other way. He is always there for us. Doesn't matter what the age is. Doesn't matter what the background is. Doesn't matter all of the mistakes that we made in the past. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is ready to overlook all of that. Only thing is that we have to turn to him and him alone and recognize that we are in absolute need of him and we have no place else to turn. If these two things are present, which is basically what I call the chasm of ibadah, the chasm of ibadah, I am in need and I have no place to turn except you. The greater this chasm, the deeper the act of worship. The greater this chasm, the deeper the act of worship. So we should turn to Allah and we should appreciate our need. And we should recognize the opportunity. We should see these days as special. We should look forward to them before they come. And when they come, we should think about how we're going to take advantage of them. And we should see the crescendo and the peak. You know, this, these days are peaking, 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 peaking. And they're going to peak on the ninth when that opportunity to fast and completely wipe away, you know, one year's worth of prior sins and one year worth of future sins, even though we didn't present ourselves for the hajj. That's going to, we're going to get that peak on that last day. And we want to take it and we want to run with it. And then after that, we want to sacrifice. And why are we sacrificing? To show our gratitude to Allah. Well, we're sacrificing because it's mandatory. But what's one of the benefits of sacrificing? To show our gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for all of these amazing opportunities that he provides for us. And to connect back with the tradition 
that has brought all of these things to life for us in such a beautiful and balanced way. We're part of a tradition, and this connects us to that tradition. I know we feel like the minority in the world in which we exist because the world seems to be advancing in one direction and we, seems to be, we seem to be the minority. But again, that's a pixel versus picture problem as I described earlier. The pixel is that I feel like a minority. The picture is I'm not a minority. I'm actually in the majority because I'm connected to a tradition which has been coming from one prophet to the next prophet to the next prophet to the next prophet all the way until the Prophet Muhammad them. I'm part of that broader chain which is actually the majority throughout history and throughout time. So we should appreciate who we are and where we are. And these are the opportunities that Allah has provided for us. And we should never, ever lose sight of the bounties and the beauty of these opportunities because that actually negates the chasm that I talked about earlier. It's when we don't see that we're in need and we don't see that Allah has provided an opportunity. And we see these days as small because maybe I think I don't have any sins or maybe I think I don't need my Lord. That's what ruins the opportunity. The greater the understanding of the believer that I am in need and my Lord is the only one that can provide and he's created this window for me to express that, for me to apply for his mercy. And it's exceedingly easy to do so because I just simply have to increase a little bit of dhikr on my tongue and appreciate the fact that I'm coming in need. That's where the opportunity lies. And all of ibadah, by the way, is the same. Ibadah is essentially the effacement of the believer in the context of a perfect Lord. That's what produces the perfect ibadah. So, alhamdulillah, thumma alhamdulillah, thumma alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is available for us at any time, at any place, to anyone, irrespective of the circumstance, so long as they appreciate their need and they appreciate that He alone is the one that can answer that need. And all of us should, should recognize that. And amongst the many, many special opportunities, and again, I don't want to limit this. This is a unique opportunity, but it's not limited. I started by reminding you that every moment is special in the existence of a believer. And we should always appreciate that any moment is special in the existence of a believer, because every moment is an opportunity to reconnect. But there are certain windows which have been created for us to be able to leverage based on the human nature of getting excited about certain periods of time, certain spaces. That's how, how, we're, how we're designed. So we should take advantage of this particular opportunity, get excited about these days, plan how to take advantage of these days. We're already in the middle of these days. Uh, they're, they're going to move just as fast as they've come. So again, leverage this opportunity. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst those who are able to appreciate our need. May he make us amongst those who turn to him and him alone. May he make us amongst those who are able to perform the hajj, understand the importance of the hajj, and aim for the hajj as a goal in our lives. May he make us amongst those who are able to increase our fasting, particularly in these days, especially on the ninth of Dhul-Hijjah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst those who are consistent with our dhikr. May he allow us to be able to increase ourselves in remembrance of him. And may he allow that dhikr to penetrate our hearts so that we can understand the greatness of our Lord through those dhikr, through those adhkar. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us amongst those who are able to increase our good deeds in these days. And may he make us amongst those who are able to appreciate once again the unique and special opportunities that he continuously bestows upon us throughout our lives. Wa akhirat da'wana anil hamdulillahi rabbil alamin.